Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 1 to verse 16. Last month, while Eunice and Abigail were in Zambia, I finally got around to catching up with a few films. And one of the films I managed to watch, which I wanted to watch for a while, was the film Superman versus Batman, The Dawn of Justice. And there is an amazing scene in the film when Superman walks into a parliamentary hearing in the United States. He is there because the world has turned against him. People consider Superman a threat to humanity. They want him to disappear because Superman does not answer to anyone. He is unstoppable and above the law. And the question explored in the film is simple. What kind of a savior does the world want? We need Superman to protect us from General Zod and Lex Luthor and all the evils of Metropolis. But we also want a savior we can control. Well, what is true in the fictional world of Superman is true every day. People are not opposed to the idea of God. They simply want a God who answers to them. And this is why many people struggle with the God of the Bible. Our God is unstoppable. He is limitless in power and wisdom. God does not exist for us. We exist for him. And living with such a God is humbling. It threatens our independence. Therefore, many people simply pretend God is not there. Others, of course, put God on trial and, and laugh at him. Well, sadly, though, even those of us who profess to believe in God often struggle with this unstoppable God. You claim to worship God, but do you reverently fear him? Well, today we're starting a new series through Jonah. He tells the story of the prophet Jonah who lived eight centuries before Jesus, during the reign of King Jeroboam II. Jonah is a patriotic prophet who God has particularly raised to guide Israel's military policy against the predatory Assyrian Empire. Jonah is living at the same time as the prophet Amos, that prophet, amazing prophet from Tekoa. And as we'll see over the next few weeks, there is more to this historical account of Jonah than the Sunday school drawings of Jonah and the giant fish. Jonah is about who God is, his relentless pursuit for sinners such as us. And straight away in chapter 1, Jonah confronts us with the question, how do we live with the unstoppable God? Well, come with me on this amazing adventure 2,700 years ago and see how Jonah, verse, chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 16, answers that question. Well, the first thing we see and in front of you in your outlines is that God wants to be with everyone. God wants to be with everyone. Jonah begins with the familiar words. 
in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. God is speaking to Jonah. The name of God here is the Lord, or Yahweh. This is the God who brought the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. This is the one true God who is now speaking to Jonah. Now we don't know whether God is speaking to Jonah in a loud voice or in a dream. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what we know is that God is a person who speaks. He is not a force like we see in Star Wars. He is not a force of nature. He is not mother nature as the celebrities often like us to believe. No, he's a person. And this God is speaking to you right now through these words in the Bible. Because the Bible in front of you contains the very words of God. Do you believe that? Does reading the Bible excite you knowing these are the very words of God? Or is your Bible gathering dust at home? Because though you believe it up here, it hasn't penetrated your heart, so you don't rarely even read your Bible. You, you don't rarely get excited to, to even attend Bible study to find out more about what God means because you get it up here, but it doesn't penetrate your heart. But these are the very words of God, and it should excite you because God is speaking. Now, 2 Kings chapter 14 tells us that Jonah is living in the village of Gath Ephah. That's a town near Nazareth. And Jonah has built up a reputation as one of God's spokespeople. Uh, the, the, the people see Jonah appearing, if you like, on their television channels as he were at that time or whatever news outlet they've got. He's there, he's offering opinions about God. This is God's spokesman. And Jonah is called into every important secu national security meeting with King, King Jeroboam II. Jonah is a Jewish patriot. But God now has a foreign job, a foreign assignment for him to do. Look at verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God is sending Jonah to the most powerful city on the planet. The city of Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Now, Nineveh is a terrible military power that chews and spits out nations around it with incredible ease. It puts entire populations on death marches. Genocide is state policy in Nineveh. It is the Nazi German of the ancient world, a nation so vile that the prophet Nahum, living after Jonah, during Nineveh's decline, called it the city of blood. That is when it was declining. Now imagine how Nineveh is now when God sends him there. But you see, God loves and cherishes every human being on the planet. So he's sending his man, his top man from the northern kingdom to Nineveh, 500 miles as far in these times. 
northeast of Israel. He wants them to repent and, and to come to him. Verse 2 tells us, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. Really, they're calling out against it here, even though it's stated like that. God is sending them to warn them so that they repent. Now, friends, God doesn't have to do this. If you and I were in God's shoes right now, who just pressed the delete button on, on a Nazi German type country, well, why send Jonah all the way to such an evil people who have caused such pain and heartache to his own people? But you see, God is saying to Nineveh, all sinners are welcome. I want to be with you. He's there a God so loving as the God of the Bible. You won't find him in the Quran. You won't find him in any other book. This is a God we all yearn for and truly need. We need a God who reaches out to us in our sins because all of us are just like Nineveh. Now, yes, I know you are not committing genocide in Rwanda or Sarajevo somewhere. You are in Bexley But the Bible says we are all sinners. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So we can pick up the most brutal people in history and put them next to you and there's no difference in God's eyes. You are as wicked as vile as Hitler. You are as wicked as vile as Mussolini. You are as wicked as vile as any president, I guess, committing massive problems these days, like President Assad, or even as wicked as far as ISIS. In God's eyes, you are a sinner. And you need this God just as President Assad needs God. You see, God here in his amazing love is reaching out to you and I as he's reaching out to Nini. He's saying, I love you. I am fond of you. I want to be with you. And I want you to place your faith and trust in Jesus. In Jesus alone. Will you come to him this morning? Or will you continue to reject God? Well, the sad truth is that God wants to be with everyone. But not everyone wants God. And that's the second point in your outline. First point, God wants to be with everyone. Second point, but not everyone wants God. Not everyone wants God. So God has spoken here to Jonah. Jonah gets up, he packs his bags, he picks the money under the bed, or perhaps he's walked into there. You know, the Gath Ephah, the northwest of Gath Ephah, and withdrawn his last savings, and he says goodbye to Mrs. Jonah. Off he goes. Where is he going? Well, not to Nineveh. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fair, and went on board and to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The prophet is doing a runner. 
You know, I wonder what is going on in Jonah's mind as he goes to these ships and buys a ticket and gets on this ship. Is, he, is, he, is Jonah smiling to himself and he's saying, you know, freedom, here I come. Or is he trembling perhaps and saying to himself, don't worry, don't worry, Joe, don't worry. It will be okay, God loves everyone. Just walk away. You'll be all right. Well, we don't know. What is clear is that Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. That is why he's going to Tarshish in a nice city in the Mediterranean, south of, south of Spain. That is as far away from Nineveh as you can get. He's going in the opposite direction. Why is Jonah running from God? Why is Jonah running from Nineveh? Well, Jonah 4 verse 2 tells us. It tells us that he's worried that his preaching may be too successful. Nineveh may repent and God will forgive them. Jonah, Jonah's dream, Jonah's nightmare, you know, every preacher's dream is Jonah's nightmare. Put it that way. Jonah is a Jewish patriot. You see, it does not want people of a different race, a different culture, and a different religion who have perpetuated suffering to his own people to enjoy God's blessings. That's why he's running. Now, we'll come back to this issue in chapter 4 when we look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, in four weeks' time. But we should note in passing here that sometimes even men of God, people who belong to God, can suffer from racial and cultural bigotry. We've seen it in history. Sometimes people who love God, may, who, who feel that they belong to God, may not want to associate with people with a different color of skin or who are poorer than us. Friends, this is not who we are in Jesus. We are one people in Christ. Therefore, we must always check our hearts. Do we invite people of a different race and background to our homes? Let's be honest. Let's ask ourselves. How racially and socially diverse are our friendships? How many friends from a different income backgrounds do you have? Of a different race do you have? And if I was in Zambia, I would say, how many of a different tribe do you have? But Jonah's issue here is broader than race and nationalism. His main issue is that Nineveh is a source of emotional pain in the past. You see, Jonah is saying to himself, Nineveh has brought such pain to my people. How can you, God, do this to me? What sort of a God is this who would take me to Nineveh and go there and face the pain when these people have brutalized my people so much? All followers of Jesus have a Nineveh. 
We all have that place God wants you to take him, but you don't want to go there because it is too painful for you to take him there. Perhaps your Nineveh is a relative in your family who has caused you such emotional pain in the past. You know, God wants you to forgive and build bridges with that person. He wants you to minister the grace and love of Jesus to them. He has put you in their life for a purpose and he wants you to develop that relationship. But it is too painful for you to go there. You are running from God like John. Listen. You can serve God in Tashish. But if God wants you to serve in Nineveh, it doesn't matter how much you are doing in Tashish, you are still running from God. I can serve God here on this pulpit in Bethlehem, but if God wants me somewhere else, it doesn't matter how much good I do in my own eyes, I'm still running from God. Even if your reason is emotional pain. We can run around, do so many things in the church, but if we're not facing one issue God wants us to face, we're still running away from him. Now I know it is a difficult situation. Many people have done us so much hurt in the past and there are so many difficult issues. But in Jesus you are never alone. Amen? In Jesus, you are never alone. God is sharing his very life with you. We saw last week, we talked about this as we go through First John. And God shares his life with you and he will walk you through the pain when you submit to him. Don't do a Jonah. Don't do a Jonah. Face up to your pain. Take it to him. And go to Nineveh. But Jonah has run from God. But God has not run from him. Look at that. Verse 4 tells us, But the Lord did what? The but is important. Jonah has run, but the Lord held a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. God is like a toddler. Uh, he, he loves Jonah too much to leave him alone. You know, he's saying, okay, I just want to do this. You know, get away from me for a little bit. I'll do my own thing. God is just following. He's there now on the boat. He's on the sea and he's bringing chaos, the hurricane with him. And he's going to do everything because he loves Jonah too. To, you know, not to, no, this is not judgment. This is God now working to make Jonah see the point. And suddenly the world looks small. The mariners need help. Look at verse 5 to 6. The mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they held the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Interesting. Arise! He's repeating what God said. Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, if you've ever experienced an extreme turbulence on the plane, you know a revival can break out. Everyone all of a sudden starts praying and, you know, asking for help. I've been into one of those. I don't want to be in it again. And, you know, they... 
everyone cries out and, you know, takes out their crucifix and all sorts of things. You see, there's an inner impulse in all of us to reach out to God when we're in trouble. But sadly, like these mariners, when we reach out to God, we often pray to a God in our image. We turn to our idols, our idea of God, our own idols. And that's what they're doing. They are turning to idols. You see, the mariners have been confronted with the unstoppable God of Jonah. But instead of turning to him like Jonah, they are also they're not on the same page with God. They are running from God. They do not want God. They are turning to their idols. The sad truth is that some of us in this room are like that. You pray. I, I know you pray. I'm pretty sure prayer is a part of your life. You pray. But you do not pray to the God of the Bible. You pray, but you are praying to a God who will give you a nice career. You are praying to a God who will give you a nice spouse. A nice, perhaps, you know, car outside. And a God who will still allow you to go on living in sin. Friends, that is a God made in your image. It's not found in my Bible. Your God is an idol. He is not the God of Jonah. And you need to be honest with yourself. The true God of the Bible wants you. He wants everything about you. He wants you to come into a relationship with him, but you just don't want him. So you've created God in your own image. Friend, as long as that is your position, you are living dangerously. Because those who resist the unstoppable God of Jonah always fail. And this is our third truth from Jonah. Truth number one. God wants to be with everyone. Truth number two. But not everyone wants to be with God. Third point now is those who resist God always fail. Now the mariners have tried everything. And it is not working. They now realize the storm is not normal, so what do they do? They need urgent answers. Look at the seven in front of you. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come up upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Wow, Jonah's face must be... Can you picture Jonah's face? It must laugh. Oh, dear. God is not just on the sea and in the boat, he's in the dice. He has been caught with a hand in the cookie jar. He has some explaining to do, verse 8 to 9 tells us. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? The questions are firing at him. What people are you? And he said to them, I think they are like, what people are you? You know, shaking him, I would imagine. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah answers all the questions except one question. What question is it? What question has he not answered? Someone. Yeah, what is your occupation? Stay with me. What is your occupation? 
Jonah is too embarrassed to say, I am a prophet. I am a pastor. I am a Christian. <laughs> we have all been there when it is too shameful to admit that we are nowhere we are meant to be. And we start shuffling a little bit. We've all been there when we are afraid to tell the brother or sister sitting next to us in church, listen, I am not on good terms with God. There is a sin going on in my life. I am struggling. I need your help. Please pray for me. We've all suffered that shame of not being able to say that. Jonah may not want to say it all, but the sailors have heard enough. Look at this day. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told him. The penny has dropped. Gentlemen, we have the wrong cargo on board. Joe is a liability. You know, perhaps when Jonah came on board, someone asked him, Why are you going to Tashish? And Jonah said, I'm done with this God thing. Then the mariners probably had a laugh. They said, what a widow, you know. Has it really taken you this long to ditch the Hebrew God? Well, as Nigel Farage would say, they are not laughing now. They are not laughing now. They now realize that they are facing the unstoppable God of Jonah. So what will they do? Look at verse 11 to 12. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up. Pick me up and hail me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet him down for you. For I know, for I know, it is because of me that the, this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah says. Is this self-sacrifice or suicide from Jonah? I think it's neither. Jonah is at the end of the rope. His arms are too short to box with God. And he doesn't even pray. You know, you expect a great prophet, you know, of northern Israel to, to come and offer a prayer there to plead God to serve him. He doesn't even pray. He's realized his arms are too short to box with God. You cannot outrun God. But the mariners still don't get it. Look at verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode out to get back to the dwelling, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They have tried to resist the unstoppable God of Jonah, and they have failed. We should note in passing here an important point, just in passing. We should note that the Bible presents a realistic view of people. The Bible never talks down people or talks them up. It tells it as it is. And what the Bible tells us is that we are fallen human beings made in the image of God. And this image of God is being displayed in these pagan mariners. They are pro-lifers. They, they love life and they want to save Jonah. They are full of justice. They think Jonah perhaps is a madman. We shouldn't just toss him on board like that. Let's give it a go. They are, they are acting nicely. This is a wonderful display of God's image 
in fallen people. And I want to plead with you as followers of Jesus that you should actively recognize God's image in our non-Christian relatives, our non-Christian friends, and our non-Christian colleagues at work. And where you see God's image being displayed, offer a prayer and thank God for it. When the firemen, you know, walk through, you know, you know, the, the, when the, you know, during seven seven and rescuing people, we, you know, we should thank God for that. That God's image is there and being displayed in these fallen creatures. Because too many of us are too skeptical about what God is doing in our world, and sometimes we miss where His image is being displayed. Yes, your, 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 your spouse may not be saved, but still the image of God is being displayed in there. And thank God for our kindness towards you. Your father is not a believer, but God's image still is at work there. He still looks after you, he cares for you. Thank God for that. And at the same time we see in these mariners that all human beings who do not know God are blinded by sin. Do you see here, they're trying to make it in this life on their own. God, John has already told them, but they're still trying. Finally, the mariners finally realize that salvation comes by surrender. Look at verse 14 to verse 15. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. They realize the Lord of Israel is God. Their idols don't work. They cry out, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and held him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Jonah is tossed in the sea to his death. Those who live on the edge should not be surprised when that edge cuts off. Maybe you have submitted to God as a follower of Jesus. And yet you know there are areas of your life where you are currently resisting God. Perhaps God wants to, you to deal with your anger towards your, your, your someone at work or your spouse. Or your, one of, you know, just somebody in your life. Or perhaps God wants you to forgive someone, a colleague perhaps. Or perhaps God wants you to stay away from pornography. Or perhaps God wants you to break off a certain relationship because it doesn't glorify him. Yet you are resisting God. Well, the lesson from Jonah and the mariners is that those who resist God always fail. Sometimes tragically. So the question, my friends, this morning is this. What will it take for you to submit to God's will? Is it getting fired from your work? Is it the spouse leaving you? Is it God allowing some other difficult of attack and pain in your life? What will it take? Friends, God is willing to use any storms in your life to bring you to the end of yourself. 
so that you recognize that you cannot box with God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Maybe you are not a follower of Jesus. Well, the message is the same. If you continue to oppose God by refusing to trust in Jesus, you will die in your sins and spend eternity in hell. So how then should all of us respond to this unstoppable God of John? Well, we must do what the mariners do at the end. And this is our final point. First point, God wants to be with everyone. Second point, but not everyone wants God. Third point, those who resist God always fail. So how then should we respond? The final point, therefore we must fear God. Jonah has left the mariners and they are never the same again. A revival has broken out on the ship bound for Tarshish. Look at verse 16, our final verse. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They have accepted what Jonah has told them about the God of Israel. Do you remember in verse 9 what Jonah told them? Look at verse 9 again. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. The God of Jonah is the unstoppable creator and sovereign controller of all things. Now, Jonah believes that truth only intellectually. He doesn't believe it in his heart. He says he feared God, but what is he doing then running from God? You see, the greatest gap in life is knowing and doing. Many of us profess to know God but deny him by our works. We are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Porteos Titus. The mariners show us what true fear of God is. They have experienced the unstoppable power of God as he has tossed them the, the, the ship they are in everywhere and they have seen the unstoppable love of God that has come the waters for them and they have seen how God has lovingly pursued Jonah to the uttermost to serve him. And they are falling in love with this God and they want more of him. So they come to him, they offer sacrifices, they make vows, I am with you. They are selling, they're telling God. And God has welcomed them home. God has used amazingly the disobedience of Jonah to bring salvation to these mariners. And that comforts me as, as, a, as a pastor and should comfort you as individuals in general, as believers who love the Lord. That sometimes in our disobedience, God is still sovereign. And he can even use our mess to bring about a great work of salvation. And it's done that here, the conversion of these mariners, they have been welcomed home by God. The conversion of these mariners, of course, to the God of Israel on this ship is, you know, is a foretaste of what Jesus does 700 years later. As he dies on that cross, on that rugged cross, as he brings together Jews and Gentiles together on the cross. As he offers salvation to anyone who repent and come to him. What is happening on this ship to Tashish is a fortress of what will come later. And of course, the conversion is a wonderful picture 
of a new heavens and a new earth. When all of us will live together under one shepherd. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. How do we live with this unstoppable God of Jonah? Well, we must fear him. We must fear him as a wonderful God who loves and pursues sinners to save them. And at the same time, we must fear him as a God who is relentless with justice and pursues those who refuse to repent. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you must agently, agently this morning, I plead with you this morning, you must accept Christ and surrender to God. Accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Accept this sacrifice on the cross and stop running from God. And if you are already a follower of Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus. You're meant to follow. So stop running from God and start living obediently in every area of your life. Start living for this amazing, amazing, unstoppable God of Jonah. Amen.